This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. So uh, I've entitled my message this morning, since our theme this month is The Watchman, uh, I called it Watchman in Times of Violence, Injustice, and Evil. Watchman in the Time of Violence, Injustice, and Evil. And uh, you can see where I've been going. All week long, this is where I've been going. Uh, by yesterday, I was totally depressed. <laughs> I, not really, but, you know, if you dwell on something long enough, it can wear you down. And sometimes you just feel like, what am I doing? What are we doing? And, and uh, I, I, I was feeling that way. And I have to admit that not only did I have a little bit of jet lag, but I... Just had a little bit of reentry shock into our beautiful country. And uh, I stayed home all day yesterday and I just prayed and read and studied. And uh, you'll never know what I studied. I studied all kinds of stuff. I was all over the place. Of course, I'm preparing my spirit for our conference that's coming up, our prayer conference. And uh, of, of course, when you fast, uh, you know, you don't eat certain meals and you're praying and you're trying to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, sometimes those are not the best or easiest times for us. How many, how many, how many of you know that there comes a fight? Your flesh wants to rise up and say, hey, hey this is enough of this. Anybody's flesh rising up yet? If I have one more piece of broccoli, I think I'm going <laughs> to. Anybody ever feel that way? <laughs> yeah, praise the Lord. Four more days and it's time to eat meat again. Uh, but I, I want the meat of the spirit. And let me, let me just say this. When you come off your fast, be very, very wise. Don't just go eat. Come off the fast gently. Uh, because often at the... Okay. I guess the tape was not holding. Uh, often at the end of a fast is when God speaks to you. God gives you uh, the answer, not during the fast, but as you're coming off the fast, all of a sudden, boom. It says that Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He's tempted of the devil. He's wrestling. And it says at the end of 40 days, angels show up and minister to him. Hallelujah. I could use some angels right now. How about you? Praise God. So we are in a situation in our nation and... Uh, I don't know how many of you are asking the question, why? Why is our country the way it is? Why do we see violence? Why do we see injustice? Why do we see evil? Why does it seem to be stronger and stronger? And well, what, Does anybody ever feel that way? Is it just me? Oh, thank you. Three of you feel that way. So the rest of you, maybe I'm in the wrong church this morning or the wrong nation, I'm not sure. But we often think that we're the only people that have questions or ask questions to God about the conditions that we're living in. It encourages me that the two men that Jesus met on the Mount of Transfiguration 
probably had given him as much grief, had given God as much grief as any of his leaders. Moses and Elijah. They were his biggest challengers. God appeared to Moses in, in a burning bush and gives him an assignment. And he says, I'm not going to do that. He says, Lord, here am I. Send Aaron. That was his attitude. He says, I'm, yeah, fine. I'm not going to speak. I'm not going to. Lord, here am I. I'm not going to speak. Send my brother Aaron. Later on, God says, I'm going to destroy all these people. They're stiff-necked people. I hate them. He says, I hate how they approach me. How many of you know that only Moses was allowed to approach God? Even the 70 elders only got to go halfway up the mountain and then God said, no, don't come up here or I'll have to kill you. Why? Because there was a sin in the camp. After Moses had been up with God, he came and he removed the Ark of the Covenant from the camp and he took it outside the camp and there God's presence would be because there was sin in the camp. God said, I'll come and meet you outside the camp. And those who had to meet God were outside the camp. At some point, God said, let me destroy this people and I'll start over with you, Moses. And Moses interceded. Moses questioned, why would you do a thing like that? Moses was a great questioner of God. Some of the most passionate people in the Bible had some of the toughest and some of the most emotionally driven questions. There's a man named G.K. Chesterton. He said this about faith. He says, faith is perpetually, faith, let me say, he says, faith is a perpetually defeated thing which survives all of its conquerors. And I thought about that. Faith is a perpetually defeated thing that survives all of its conquerors. You see, sometimes we think that faith is just, wow, bless God, hallelujah, I did that by faith. I don't know about you, but faith sometimes is all that's left when everything else has passed. Having done all, stand. How do you stand? By faith. Faith stands when there's nothing else but faith left. Faith will always be attacked. But the word of God will always rise up to outlive its forebearers. Those who try to bury the word will find out that it survives in the face of all attacks and all attackers. I think of Voltaire who basically said that the Bible would be non-existent and that the word of God and that Christianity would be a passing fad and that within a hundred years there would be nothing left. Well, a hundred years later, his home was used by the Bible Society to spread Bibles all over Europe. <laughs> the Word of God didn't fail. Amen. The book of Habakkuk. Here's a man who probably all of us, I know I can, identify with more than most. In Habakkuk 1, I'd like you to turn there in your own Bible. Just st stick in the book of Habakkuk with me today. Underline, mark, read. Just let's go through this and let it speak to you. 
this would be a good book to read because I, I, I think it's depicting not only the time when Habakkuk lived, but our own age, our own time, our own era. In Habakkuk 1 and verse 2 through 4, it says, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice or evil? Why do you tolerate evil or wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked him in the righteous so that justice is perverted. You know, throughout the scripture, it talks about when wicked men prevail, good men hide. Good men don't know what to do. It's hard to be good in Zimbabwe right now. Because there's so much evil. If you stand up and say, I don't think this is right. They say, oh, it's our time to eat. What's wrong with you? Can't you see? There's, there's an attitude of prevailing wickedness that shuns anyone who would dare stand for truth or light or righteousness. Oh, it's not only in Zimbabwe. I think it's in the whole world. Habakkuk 1 and verse 9 says, they all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. Even the American military, when they fought the war in Iraq, understood this verse. They called it desert storm, desert storm, desert wind. He says, evil and violence is advancing like a desert storm, like a desert wind. What's the answer in the face of such pain, warfare, evil, and suffering? See, I believe that only a biblical worldview can answer such issues. How long must I call out violence? How, must, must, how long must I call out injustice and destruction? But you do not listen, you do not save. How many of you feel in that position? How many of you say, God, I've been praying. God, I've been believing. Whether it be for family members or in the marketplace or for our nation, for our leaders. It's amazing to me that God is not upset when we cry out and we ask him hard questions. Even when we question his goodness and sometimes we question his motives. I, I love God. He... he he, he, he doesn't get upset. He, he always answers. God doesn't get nervous because his kids are questioning him. How many of you have ever had one of your children rail against you? I remember when my, little, when my children were little. I don't like you. <laughs> and I mean, you know... Other than it was just spoiled rottenness, it was cute. Because as an adult, I could look at them and say, oh my gosh, 
I'm going to hit you. Oh, really? I'm going to hurt you. Oh, okay. Uh, their little frustration is pouring out through immature positions, lack of understanding, frustration. One of my children one time bit one of his friends. Now, this wasn't this kid's temperament. It wasn't who he was. And we didn't know what to do. I mean, as parents, you think, oh, my God, <laughs> we're raising an animal. <laughs> and uh, we were talking with one of the uh, people that was helping us walk this through. And, uh, you know, it's good to have community around you. And this lady said to us, she says, can I ask you a question? She said, does your son, is this how he responds all the time? Or is this a once-off kind of a thing. And I said, we said, oh, no, no, it's just a once-off thing. Uh, we've never seen him do this ever before. He says, you know, even your pet dog, if cornered, will bite. He said, sometimes you have to understand that it is a situation that he couldn't control. Don't you think God can understand that about you and I? That there's times that we get to the end of ourselves. We, and, and maybe we question him. We question his goodness. We, we, we might even question his righteousness. But it doesn't change God. He always answers. He always answers. He just doesn't answer the way we want him to sometimes. Or the way we think he should. So today I want to look at three issues. Violence. Just think of the magnitude of violence that we're facing in this world. Think of it. Closer to home, we've never seen such wicked violence as we're seeing in our country today. We have an army and a police force that are becoming more and more factionalized, less and less professional. It used to be that armies were professional. Whoever was in power, it didn't matter because they were the voice of reason. They were the voice of security for the nation. It used to be that policemen were upholding the law, not upholding a faction, not supporting a regime, but supporting law and supporting rules and honesty and things that we value and maintaining order in society. That's all changed in Zimbabwe. Private armies now, basically, supporting factions. They're being weaponized against the citizenry, citizenry or those who would dare, differ, or even oppose factional leaders. We have gangs of machete-wielding thugs. who are not able to be prosecuted because they're protected by very powerful people, maybe even directed by them. The Bible warned that in the end times, violence would increase. If you look at Europe, where they keep statistics, accurate ones, They recorded in the 17th century 
that there were 3.4 million people killed in war in the 17th century. In the 18th century, there were 5.3 million. In the 19th century, 5.5 million. In the 20th century, just up until the 1970s, there were 70 million people killed in warfare in Europe alone. This doesn't include the 60 million in the purges in China and the 60 million in the purges in the USSR. And this is listed in the 20th century alone. More than 186,000, 186 million people Hitler had a vision for what he wanted to accomplish. Hitler's vision, and I quote, he said this. He says, I want to raise a generation of young people devoid of conscience, imperious, relentless, and cruel. If you study the Third Reich, if you would ever study history... By the way, tonight I'll be talking to you about history and your role in it, what history means. Most of you are victims of history. You don't even understand it. You don't read history. You let somebody interpret it to you. So because you've had it interpreted to you, you have no idea what real history is. And so you are only reacting instead of acting. So if you'd like to know a little bit about that tonight, if you want to become enlightened, if you want to have your eyes opened... We'll talk a little bit about the role of history. I don't want to get into that tonight. but Hitler was trying to rewrite history. He brought such wickedness and such evil and normalized it that his very own generals, his very own people couldn't see the wickedness. They were exterminating Jews. They were exterminating Their opposition, opposition forces in concentration camps, and even worse, in death camps. And if you read their writings, if you ever take time to read what those men said, they had no conscience about it. They were doing what they thought was right. They were exactly what Hitler said. Devoid of conscience. Imperious, relentless, and cruel. Oh, but this isn't just in the modern age. This is since the beginning of time. The first family. Adam and Eve's son, Cain, killed Abel because of envy and jealousy and covetousness. James says it this way in James 4, verses 1 through 2. He says, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even from your lusts that war in your members? You lust and you have not. You kill and you desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and you war, yet you have not because you ask not. You see, when you're devoid of conscience, when we get to a place where we don't really believe there is a God, where there are no rules, where there is no morality, then we allow something to overtake us and 
We go for it out of the lusts in our own heart, in our own mind, in our own desires, and we're never satisfied. We're never satisfied. Like Habakkuk, you and I see all of this. We see it in our own nation and we cry out to see the violence stop. And we say, how long? How long? But here, Habakkuk linked it to another idea, number two. He said, how long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice, but you do not answer? Eee. Justice. Justice in Zimbabwe and around the world has now become a political ideology rather than a reflection of the person of Almighty God. We are now politically driven. We are driving justice by politics. It's not what is right by God's view, but what is right by whoever rules rule. This country loves to quote the golden rule. He who has the gold rules. <laughs> and it's true. It's true in a corrupt world, but it's not true in God's world. Plato said it this way. He, says, he said this. He said, justice is the firmest pillar Good government. Justice is the firmest pillar of good government. When justice is only justice for a faction or for ourselves and is not equally meted out for others, then the result is the destruction of law and order and the unraveling of our society. I believe it was Aristotle who said this. He said that if justice is ever only about selfishness, it's only about an inward group or a small group, he says it is no longer justice. He described justice as being for self and for others. And that before there's justice for you, there must be justice for someone else. We have a justice now that says, hey, I'll take care of me and forget I'll take care of you if it doesn't impinge upon me being taken care of. That's not justice. It's a form of jealousy. It's a form of covetousness. It's a form of envy. It's a rottenness. And our society is unraveling under the weight of it. Micah, in the Old Testament, the prophet, one of the minor prophets, was able to reduced the 613 laws of Moses to three. He says, he has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. There it is, do justly. I'm calling our church, and I'm calling you and I to do justly. Amen. Justice means that what I would want for myself, I will do for others. Justice is that I will not allow in another man's life what I wouldn't allow in my own. Finally, Habakkuk speaks of wickedness or evil 
evil. There's a book, well, actually an author, uh, a psychiatrist, his name is Dr. Scott Peck. I don't know if you've ever read any of his books, but he wrote one called The Road Less Traveled. The other one he talked about the, uh, the people of the lie. The people of the lie. These are, these are incredible books. He was a, a, a forerunner. He was actually, uh, he was known for his writings because uh, he was the first person, the first psychiatrist, to be honest with you, that was willing to talk about a person being evil. This shook the world of psychiatry because no one at the time ever wanted to label a person as being evil. Why? Because that would lay blame on the person. Most psychiatry and most psychology lays blame at the feet of everything but the individual or the person. We'll blame the environment. We'll blame our family upbringing, society, but never hold a person responsible. Scott Peck gives many examples and he made a very profound statement. He said this, he said, all people do evil, but not all people are evil. He says, there are some people who are evil. They've turned themselves over to evil. They are devoid of conscience. They're just exactly what Hitler said. All of us have done something evil. All of you do evil. But there's a huge difference between doing evil and being evil. This applies not only to individuals, but this evil can creep into your business, your families, and yes, even in our, institution, our institutions. Churches can become evil. I think of the evil that has crept into the Roman Catholic Church. All the pedophilia, all of their problems in the banking world, the corruption. But let's not be too quick to judge, that could be us. We could allow evil to come in. Our courts, many of our courts, you cannot get a fair trail, trial. Because many of our magistrates can be purchased. And if our judges can be purchased, evil, parliament, we're passing laws that do not reflect, we're talking about laws that do not reflect not only Zimbabwean, but African values. They're evil. And they're not our laws. They're not us thinking these things up. They're being imposed upon us by Western powers. By corrupt and evil people. See, the reason psychiatrists didn't want to use the term evil was that it would have been a slide from being clinical to pronouncing a moral judgment. But you see, the silence or the unwillingness on the part of a 
professional was a moral judgment in itself. Saying nothing is a moral judgment. The judgment was saying we don't want to slide into moral judgment, which is in effect a moral judgment. So we treat evil with pills and we fret about people not being punished unnecessarily. Oh, we wouldn't want that person to be tried for murder. We wouldn't want to judge it as him being evil. It's the society. We blame everything. Is that not a moral judgment in itself? By not judging, we judge. We've become so educated that we've left God out of the equation. So here we are. We're faced with evil. We're faced with injustice. We're faced with violence. And I believe the only thing that can address this issue is a Judaic Christian worldview. That's the only solution. Habakkuk 2, verses 18 through 20 says this. What profiteth the graven image that the maker thereof hath graven it? The molten image and a teacher of lies that the maker of his work trusteth therein and to make dumb idols. Woe to him that saith to the wood, Awake! Or to the dumb stone, Arise! It shall teach. Behold, it is laid over with gold and silver, and there's no breath at all in the midst of it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Oh, man. Oh. I love what God is saying here. I love that. God says, hey, listen, all of your answers, all the things you come up with, all of your solutions, they're like dumb idols before God. And he says, let all of the earth keep silent. God is in his holy temple. This nation has probably more doctorates than any nation I know of. Everybody's a doctor. We have more education than any other country in the continent of Africa. And we have prided ourselves with such pride and such arrogance as how smart we are. And yet it's like these idols that cannot speak truth. But God in his temple you see mere reasoning is like these wooden idols what distinguishes Christians from naturalists and atheists is not reasoning but moral reasoning you see in fact I think it was the philosophers I think it was Sartre who said to think is to be or to reason is to be he should have said something along the lines of somehow that reason leads us to be introspective and see ourselves but he had to tie it to his own immortality 
And that's why moral reasoning must come in. We must reason understanding that there is a God. We have moral reasoning is a belief in a supreme being. A moral and righteous judge of all mankind. And let me tell you something about a moral being and a righteous judge of all mankind. We must be silent before him. I heard somebody ask the other day, what will you say to God when you get to heaven? I will be absolutely silent. I will tremble before him. And I'm not worried about what I'm going to say to him. I'm going to worry about what he says to me. And my hope is that I receive a divine accolade that says, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what I'm hoping for. That would be the best. But I worry sometimes. I say, oh God, has my heart too become so hardened? Have I too drifted that he might not say that to me? I don't want to hear the words, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, for I never knew you. You see, the reason that you and I ask these questions is because we believe that God exists. The reason we wrestle with these things is because we believe he exists. These are moral questions. They're moral questions. And the fact that so many in our society are no longer asking these questions is indicative of how far we've moved away from Almighty God in our society. The fact that we have politicians that can mock the gospel. Oh, the reason that God needed the devil. Even God couldn't control his children, so he made the devil. What? I'm telling you, that's mocking the very almighty God who has the solution to our problems. And it's enough now. Our leaders need to ask God for solutions. We need to humble ourselves and ask God to help us. So let me close. First of all, I want to give you my first answer. My first answer is this. Don't despair. God says, don't despair. Why? Because I am. I am. Don't despair because there is a God. God is. Second, we must understand that God does intervene in our lives. There is a God and he does intervene in our lives. And I think the biggest shock for many of us won't be that he intervened, but how many times he's intervened. I think one day you're going to get to heaven and you're going to say, oh my God. Where I didn't see God's hands, he was there. Where I didn't think he intervened, he did. I think we're all going to be shocked at how often and how many times and how many ways God himself intervened in our lives. I don't know what you're going through in your life. But God is not unaware He is aware of everything and every eventuality that you're involved in or that you're going through. He knows it all. There are, scientists say, over 3 billion bits of information in your DNA and in your makeup. And God knows every single one. He says, I know the hair on your head. It doesn't fall to the ground without me knowing about it. God knows. God never wastes a crisis in our life. Barack Obama said, never waste a crisis. Well, let me tell you something. God never wastes one in our lives. 
And he'll be with us. He'll be with us through the fire. He'll be with us through the storms. He'll be with us through the tests, the trials, and all the tribulations we face. We must acknowledge him. In fact, he says to Habakkuk in, in Habakkuk 2 and verse 4, he says, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. The just shall live by his faith. He's speaking of all this calamity. He's speaking of the Babylonians. He's speaking of all the trouble that's in the earth and this wicked people, this terrible people. Let's take it. And he says, but the just shall live by faith. That's us. We're the just and we shall live by faith. Finally, when I, in Habakkuk 3, verse 16, it says this. When I heard my, when I heard, listen to this. Habakkuk 3, verse 16 through 20, it says, when I heard, my belly trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered into my bones and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he cometh up to the people, he will invade with his troops. Although the fig tree does not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail. The fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off in the, from the fold. And there shall be no herds in the stall. Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will, I will joy in the God of my salvation. For the Lord God is my strength. And he will make my feet like hind's feet. And he will make me to walk upon my high places. To the chief singer on my stringed instruments. Can I tell you something? Habakkuk has gone through this whole dilemma. He's seeing wickedness, evil, distress, violence, destruction. And yet, what's his cry? His reality was shaped by his perspective. You see, many of you in the world says that it's the other way around. They say that our perspective shapes our reality. But the truth is, reality shapes your perspective. When the Lord is your strength, he causes our reality to be shaped in accordance with his word and with his will. He makes our feet to be like Heinz feet. That means I'm able to stand in the rocky crag. I'm able to stand and be sure-footed even on high places. I don't know if you've ever seen a mountain goat. I don't know if you've ever seen a hind. We have clip springers in this country. Have you ever seen a clip springer? I've seen clip springers standing on the sides of sheer dome cliffs, granite cliffs. It's just standing on little tiny. How did they get there? They're, it's impossible, but they do it. God says, I'll even on the sheer cliff, I'll give you sure feet in high places. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man that which God has prepared for them that love him. God loves you. God has prepared for you. No wonder Habakkuk said in Habakkuk 2.14, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. No wonder it was Habakkuk in 2.20 that said this, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Today, what is yours and my response? What's our response? 
What's our response? I believe that it's unlocked in one last verse of scripture. Habakkuk 2, verses 1 through 3, he says, I will stand upon my watchtower. I will be a watchman. I will, and I will set me upon the, the watchtower. He says, I'll be a watchman on the watchtower. Here's God's response. Here's what God's asking of you. Will you be a watchman? Will you stand on the watchtower? And I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And the Lord answered me and said, write the vision, make it plain upon tablets that, it may, that he may run that, re, that reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but the end, at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it because it will surely come. It will not tarry. I have good news for you. I believe that God, even as we prepare for this prayer conference, even as we are in a new decade, even as we're in a new season, what God is saying in this passage of scripture is, Get on your watchtower. Be a watchman. Watch and see what he says. I'll tell you, that's a, I could preach on that alone, and I made during prayer conference. See what he says. How do you see what God is saying? How many of you know that the eyes of your heart? How many of you have ever seen someone say something when they never said anything with their word? In fact, how many of you know that sometimes you can see what somebody's saying even when they're saying something differently? Do you understand what I'm saying? So I want to encourage you today. Even though the fig tree doesn't seem to be blossoming, even though the vine casts its fruit before its time, even though the stalls are empty, even though it doesn't look like the promises are coming to pass, the Bible says this. Be the watchman. Get up on your wall. See what God is saying. When he reproves you, let's look for justice. Let's be the holy and peculiar people. Let's not continue to do evil or be evil. Let's be salt and light in the earth. Let's make a big difference. Right now, I want to give place for the Holy Spirit to minister to us individually and as a congregation. I'm going to ask you to remain silent before him. And our ushers are going to, our pastors are going to serve us. They're going to serve us communion. And as you're remaining silent before him, I'm going to ask you to say, oh God, help, let, me, let me be like that watchman on the wall. Let me hear the reproof as you reprove me. God may even speak to you. If God does speak, it would behoove you to write it down. To write it down. To write it down. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.